All right, we are live. We're live. We're live, and this is Parsha Kedoshim. Today is 21 days of the Omer, which is three weeks of the Omer. Amen. So let's, uh, Joshua, take it away. First off, we should bless God for the food and the land. Amen. Um, that was an excellent meal, thank you. Um, yeah, we are talking about Kedoshim. And um, really, I think the question is, who are we supposed to be like? Who are we supposed to be like in this, in this parasha? What, 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 who's our, our example? Is this an adult question or a deep It can be either. Some seems like the children are, are particularly focused, so. Hashem um, uh, that's right. That's, a, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Both answers um, are equally correct. And as Nehemiah pointed out, like Hashem, absolutely. And, and really, it is one of the same. So it's, it's, both are correct and the same answer. So, but the point is that Yeshua is the expression of Hashem, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. is he is Hashem in in our physical realm. The word becomes flesh. Right, and I think that that, that is really helpful to us um, to think about, like, to see what it looks like. But I thought, as I referenced earlier in our prayer reference, it's almost comical how often holiness is referenced in this passage. And the other phrase that shows up over and over and over again is, I am the Lord your God. Every other command, basically, is, I am the Lord your God. And uh, Ishai Fleischer and Rabbi Mike, in their, in their um, teaching this week, their podcast, I really like the fact they reference um, the most important uh, mitzvah in this one is, you should love the neighbor as yourself. And then it ends with, for I am the Lord your God. And what Yishai Fleischer mentions in his, in his commentary, in he and Rabbi Mike talking about it, is that you, you could say, well, I don't really love myself very much, so I don't have to love anybody else. And their point was like, that's not the standard. The standard is not what you think you think about yourself. Which I have to say, most people are lying to themselves because they don't they love yeah. themselves. But the point is that like you may feel negatively towards yourself for whatever reason, or to parts of yourself, but that doesn't change what the standard is, because the standard is set by God. And that's why it ends with, prime the Lord your God. Now that was so cool, because how does Yeshua teach this lesson? Teaches us that, you know, teach, do unto others as you have them do unto Right, but then he takes it a step further, right? He, he gives, he gives the, the, uh, the ultimate in John, right? He says, love one another as I have loved you. And then, and so, which of course really feels like a new commandment. Yeah. But as First John teaches us, it is not a new commandment. First no. John says it is a new commandment, but it's not a new commandment, which is actually a great way of phrasing it, um, because it's new in the sense that like we haven't necessarily had it codified that way, it hasn't been expressed that way. But the idea was, as First John notes, it was there from the beginning. It's yeah. in this this parasha because he says, "Love your yourself, for I am Adonai your God." In other words, mm-hmm. I set that standard. You should match my standard of what love looks like, um, but how it looks like, so to speak, is going to be look like how you love yourself. Yeshua then, because he's the perfect man, as Gregory said earlier, he allows us to see what loving our neighbor as God loves us would really look like. And so, of course, he is the one to express that commandment in a, in a, in a refreshed way because now we can see what it would look like to do it perfectly. And to your point, the master actually goes further. In Matthew chapter 5, which is the uh, apostolic reading for today, he closes out that sermon on the 
how you should love your neighbor and so forth, in the same way that he closed it out in this portion. Over and over again, we hear, you need to be holy, because I'm holy. And that's exactly how Matthew 5 ends, verse 48. You shall be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, and Peter references this as well, I think in First Peter. He talks about being holy as I forgot, for he is holy. Right. And if you think about it, I really feel like that changes the uh, the standard. You know, I mean, I think that um, we live in a world today that's not so different from the world that Noah lived in. You know, and there's a reference, there's a commentary, there's a division about Noah because it says he was righteous in his generations. Mm -hmm. And some and some sages say, well, that means that he was truly righteous. And some sages say, well, he was righteous compared to everybody else. And I think we really live in an era where it's so easy to be righteous compared to everybody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can look at a lot of problems that are going on out there yeah, right now and say, well, I'm not doing what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing yeah. pretty good. But this parasha doesn't make that standard. No. The whole way through, it's about be holy for I am holy. Be holy as I, because I've called you holy. I am the Lord your God is over and over and over again. And um, there's an interesting commentary in the Rashi text in talking about the... Um, the Ogot and the Yirunim, and it says, for I'm the Lord your God, is contrasted with that to say, you have a choice. You can either follow these things that the rest of the world is doing, or I can be the Lord your God. In other words, you can't live like the world and God be your God. And I think that's I think that's a really a sobering thought to realize you you really we do have a choice in the way that we live. And if we're living not like God is our God, then he really isn't we're not treating him like God. Yeah. We've found a different God, yeah. which is not really God. That's right. It's, I feel like it's perfect that the this portion that highlights so many of so much of the depravity of the nations is the portion that continually reiterates why like that Adonai is our God. He is holy because if you think about how hard it is to follow God in the context of all of that wickedness, right? Like, that's what you're mm -hmm. seeing mm -hmm. all day long. Right. That's what you're around constantly. Right. And having seen a lot coming out of the wilderness and everything, uh, and, and coming out of Egypt, it, it's easy to forget some of that and, and to not have a constant reminder of God in your life. So it's like, this is just one of those, like, lines in the sand, so to speak, where it's like, if you really are a person of then you are going to follow God, even though that's not what anyone else around you is doing. They're all doing these other things that are expressed as negative commandments in this portion. That's right. But, but if you if you can follow God with that faith, then those are those aren't going to be interesting at all. Right. Mm. Or at least you're not going to do them. There is a commentary in this passage that actually talks about the idea that you shouldn't be like, oh, pork, so nasty. Instead, you should be like, well, if God didn't say no, that would be very nice. But because God said no, I choose not to. And that's a reason, is my point. Right. So it, I, think to just, I think you're right. But just to clarify, I do think that like, we do see that um, it isn't always that the world stuff is not appealing to us. Or that it shouldn't be appealing. Because I think there is a lot of appeal. But I think that what we recognize is that we choose on a daily basis to trust God more than we trust our own eyes and our own stomachs and so forth, mm -hmm. and to recognize that what God has given us is good and true. I was just talking before we got started during lunch with uh, Scott Martin and my dad about how our modern society has so obliterated the concept of truth that 
Now, people literally know nothing as true. Everyone is literally starting from scratch. They don't know what they're supposed to do in life. They don't know their meaning in life. They don't know what their role is in life. They don't even know what their gender is. They don't know what their, um, what, what's right, what's wrong. They don't know, they can't define murder. I mean, we've literally got a governor of a state recently who said it was okay to kill babies after they're born, you know, as long as we had tried to kill them before they were born. <laughs> so the point is that, like, when we, we've got that kind of, of uh, horrifying lack of truth, then you lose everything. But what does this passage say over and over and over again? The same way the Ten Commandments cited. I'm the Lord your God. If you start with that, then all of the rest of it fits in that box. And we can trust him. And we can do exactly what he said. And know that it's the right thing to do, even when all the voices around us are saying otherwise. Yes, sir. I think he goes through time and time again here, especially towards the end. You, you may not do what the people that were in this land before you did. Right. Because I'm kicking them out. Because they did. So, you know, I, I, I would argue against the concept that people don't know right from wrong. I think they do know right from wrong. They choose to not acknowledge it. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think they, there's a stage where they get to where they even... It's like a person who lies to themselves all the time. They lose track of where truth know, is. I, I think, I, I, but I think most of the people that I know in America today, the younger ones, they're they're just oversized toddlers, <laughs> right? Mm. That's the problem. That's the younger generation. They're just toddlers now because we've chosen as a community, as a nation, not to teach them. Right. So they are truly idiots. They. They have not children. been taught. They're children, right. So they need to mature, they need to be taught, and so forth. The older ones, I'm convinced they know. And I think that's where he's coming from, where the master is coming oh, yeah, from. I think you had that here, is that. that, hey, um, you've seen what they did. You've heard what they did. You can't do that. Right. The land will vomit you out. Right. If, uh, I can't remember the, the, the word used in the version we read from this morning, you know, it will expel you, it will spew you, spew right. you, you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, it, you cannot stay unless you're going to live right in that land. Well, and I think that's interesting you mentioned the land will vomit you out because I think it goes beyond even God kicks them out. Like it's not just a God's in charge of morality and he yeah. says this is right and wrong and therefore I'm going to punish you if you do wrong and reward you if you do good, which is true. But on top of that, it feels like a land itself. God has so organized this yeah. universe that morality, I believe, really functions like a spiritual version of physics. If you jump off of a building, you will splat on the ground. If you pour out innocent blood on the ground, it's going to cry out. Things are going to come back to you. And I think if you look inside today, it's no surprise that in the wake of you know, like the sexual revolution, we've got diseases we didn't even know about before. Mm -hmm. And how many lives have been devastated because of people who have chosen to flaunt God's rules. And you see, uh, you see throughout throughout history. I mean, especially in modern times, I think some of the examples of people who lie and cheat and steal in their business. Mm -hmm. What happens to these people? I mean, more often than not, I feel like we find them at the end of their lives disgraced, possibly imprisoned, you know, and and having devastated so many lives. And you see, like, so basically, we're seeing we're seeing it takes time. 
but you do see over time that like there are real consequences for what we do. And unfortunately, as humans, to your point earlier, we do sometimes act like children, and all we can see is six inches in front of our face. And we think, well, I want this. I just don't, you know, we don't care if we're going to have ice cream for dinner and what that's going to do for us later. But we want it now. And unfortunately, uh, people have lost that, that trust of God as sort of that, that divine parent, if you will, that um, who knows what's best for us. Who knows that if, if we follow the, the pattern established, we will be happy. We will be healthy. We will have lives that are fulfilling and meaningful. But how many Americans today in an era where we have unprecedented wealth are on medication for depression? Or how many Americans today in an era of, you know, freedom, so to speak, have completely, like, I mean, almost to the point of uh, lost interest in normal male-female relationships? Yeah. I mean, you think about, like, the, what we've wow. done to ourselves. We've devastated our own what normal happiness is hard to find today because we have so strayed from God's laws. Mm -hmm. But God is telling us if we do the right thing, there's a very clear course of action that follows. And it is a rewarding action. It's not always easy. In fact, it normally isn't. But there is definitely good uh, in response to good and so forth. Yes, sir. You know, what's interesting, um, just reading everything in this part of the chat, it reminded me of uh, uh, Paul's letter to Corinth, right, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, let's see, 11 through, 11 through uh, 16. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of Elohim, no one knows except the spirit of Elohim. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from Elohim, so that we may know the things freely given to us by Elohim, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, but they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of Adonai, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of the anointed. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that what we see here in Leviticus, like 19 through 20, 21, it, it's a reiteration. Um, we just read that, like the previous part of at the end in Leviticus 18. It talks about all the things that we do, we, we can and cannot do, you know, uh, uh, mating. Right, right. Just to be nice. Right, right. right. All right. Then it's a reiteration in 20, right? Right. Of that. Right. And then, and then right. also a reiteration of the dietary commands. But it shows how intricate, like how our character, our behavior, how our discipline, our self-discipline is to be um, if we are considered, if we are consider ourselves holy or set apart from the world. Whereas the world, it, it eats, you know, it, it, there's escargot and there's all these different things That's that the world stuff. finds. It's this is this is normal. What do you mean you don't eat alligator? What? You know what I mean? <laughs> but but you see that down to the things that seem normal to the world, we ought to have a bit in our mouth to steer ourselves away from those things, you know, to, to have control over those things. Um, 
and then to the spit you out of my mouth. Uh, in Revelations, right. yeah, in Revelations three and sixteen, Revelations three, three fourteen through sixteen, to the angel of the assembly in Laodicea, that I'm in the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of Elohim says this: I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. So you're not cold, meaning you just disregard my words, and you're not hot, where you just seek and seek after truth. Right? But you're in the middle. in the middle. I wish that you were cold or hot. Why? Because then I could judge you. Right? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so where he says where the land will vomit you out. Right? Where the land will spew you out if you're if you're doing these things. He also says, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. You desire to live with me, you desire to be with me. But because you are not for me fully, right, I'm going to spit you out. If you're just walking in the middle, you're just walking that middle road, I'll have one foot here and one foot in the world. I'm going to spit you out. And it's, that's just powerful to think of. Like, it's, 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 it shows that he cares about how we live, about how we eat about how we behave ourselves, you know, just in the things that we look out, hey, I'm only human. You know, we have songs that glorify just being human. It's human. We can just do that. What's wrong with that? You know? But like Paul said, the natural man, he can't ascertain the things of the spiritual man or the spiritual mind and what he wants us to be. And what he wants us to be is a spiritual man and to prepare ourselves for that world right now. Israel did 
behind the scenes to try and capture as many of those those guys as they could. But there were so many. And then the, the people of Israel just were like, we, we just don't want to keep pursuing these people. You know, and it was a shame, because you're right. They're not, they were never all dealt with properly to, to satisfy justice. Yeah, I think part of the problem with portions like this and it's probably why the appeal of Yeshua's words in Matthew um, to traditional Christianity is that we read the list and we go, wow, it's a good thing I don't do all those things. And the title of the parsha is Kedoshim. It's like, that's holy. It's like, that, there are three standards actually in this portion. There, there's the standard of the pagans and there's the standard of do what the pagans do, and then there's the third standard, which is the standard that we are asked to follow, and that is be holy as I am holy. Mm -hmm. And understanding that it's not the not doing. First, first of all, it's okay to not do all those things. That's great. And actually, your society will be preserved. It makes sense. It's logical order to assume that if you behave in this way, your society will be better. And actually, that preserves people for true understanding and belief. I listened to a commentary this week on what's camp because of the gala, the Met Gala, you know, and the whole thing of, you know, trying to be most bizarre. The more bizarre you are, uh, you know, it makes fun of, it makes fun of traditionalism. And yeah, it's all about being, camp is about being, is about making fun of traditionalism, which means you get it. You are so elite that you understand. Um, which is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's logic turned on its head. <laughs> to be illogical, but understand that you're being illogical, is actually so intelligent. And that's actually in fashion and whatever else, you know, music, art, all those things. Avant-garde. You know, you know avant-garde, actually. You know, and I really appreciate Impressionist art, but there is something to be said about the, the, the beauty that God has created in nature and in, and in the world yes, and, ha and our ability to recognize that as an order. And understanding that God's instructions here from, from Kedoshim about don't do those things, there's order in that. And it's preserving, it's good order, it's not bad. We can see people that live in a society like this and we go, that's a good society. But we wouldn't say that's the best society because the best society is Yeshua's words. You've heard this is what you should do. I'm telling you there's a higher standard, and the higher standard is be holy as a whole. Right, and actually it's interesting, the commentary even on this passage does talk about that idea that like, it's not enough to just do what's right, but even to be holy in what's allowed. Like yeah. to, you know, you can have wine, but you shouldn't get drunk. That's right. You can eat food, but you shouldn't be gluttonous. You know, it's like to even recognize that there are, there are moderations even within what's permitted. But I think also, thinking about the, the holiness element we were talking about earlier, and about how that's good, um, Rabbi Mike and Yishai Fleischer this week, in their, or last week, I guess, really, in their podcast, they were talking about um, the Ove and Yudoni element, and they said that it's interesting that, um, according to, tr to tradition, this particular form of idolatry was focused around telling the future. That was the reason for it. Um, and a really bizarre twist, apparently, according to the sages, um, one of them involves talking to the dead who talk to people through the medium's armpit. Which I have to say, if there's really any sign that this was probably not the best way to base your life on, talking to someone's armpit's probably not, not a good place to start. Um, 
But that just shows the, the, the insanity where we end up with in the end of what left to ourselves. No less, no more insane than what we see today. Oh, I know, right? Absolutely. Yeah, pretty much. That was referenced a few times in That's right. Right. And the point, and the point of this, though, is to say that, like, that's not what God offers because it's a different approach. Because what's fortune telling really about? It's about this idea that the future can be... I need to know the future, number one. Somehow that'll make my life better. And number two, it's about this idea that if I know the future, I can somehow impact it. I can change it. I, or at least I can be prepared for it. Maybe I can't change it. Um, but what Rabbi Mike Nisai Fleischer said that was so brilliant was God's message to them is not, don't worry, I'll tell you the future. His response to them is, if you live the right way, you don't need to know you don't the future. Have to worry about the future. The future is going to line up for you because when you obey me, These your future is good. There is a reward for doing good. So if you live your life the rest of the way this parasha talks about, your future will be positive. Not necessarily always happy or easy, but the point is that like you don't need to think about it. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what the future is going to be. And it's so funny that we live in an, in an age, I feel like today, where there's so much stress about the future. You know, we're worried about the future. We're afraid of the future. We want to know what the future's going to be. We don't need to know what the future's going to be. You know, all the people follow their horoscopes and their fortune cookies and whatever else. And it's like, um, how much of life would be so much easier, literally able to live in the moment, if we didn't care what the future was? Because if we live good now, the future will take care of itself. Because God's in charge of the future. Isn't that uh, the concept of she laughs at the days to come? Right. There's no fear Absolutely. That's totally right. Proverbs 31, right there. And that idea... There is no future. Because I think that... I mean, it's interesting. Like in, 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 uh, in, I love science fiction stories. And one of the biggest questions that shows up a lot in science fiction is, is fate for, and future. Like, how much of it is predetermined? How much of it can you, can you um, adjust? And some, some stories explore the idea that everything is predetermined. And you actually, only by trying to change it, you end up creating it. And other stories talk about, like, well, you can, you can change the future if you know the future. And, but God really is offering you an alternative, which is to say, don't even think about the future. What does Yeshua say in his words? Don't even worry about tomorrow. Yeah. But today's got enough worries on its own. Don't worry about what you would say. Let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Exactly. Because if you live well today, tomorrow will be fine. And it's like it's such an amazing level of, of trust factor. But at the same time, it's like, because throughout this passage, it says, I am not your God. But see, that goes beyond just simply we do what he does because he has the authority to tell us. We also do what he tells us because he's in charge of everything. He's going to take care of us. It's going to work out okay. You know, we don't need to be afraid or need to take it into our own hands. God's going to handle all the big stuff. We just got to take care of us. If we do that, all the rest of the pieces will fall into place. Just like Yeshua says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be given to you. Yeah. It's not like seeking first the kingdom of heaven, and then if you have any time left over, try to make sure you take care of yourself too, because, you know, no promises. But God has made it very clear that everything's going to work out okay. Yeah. All you're responsible to do is obey him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so much of what this parasha is talking about. It's, it is a long list of rules, but all these rules make life good and happy and healthy. You know, I wonder, like, if you lived in a world in which, you know, there wasn't uh, a lot of the negative things we have in society today, how happy would people be? You watch oh reality goodness. TV shows, or hopefully you don't, but if you do, um, uh, you, you, you get to see what happens when people let the worst of themselves run things. 
Does anyone watch these shows and think to themselves, no. I really wish that I was a desperate housewife who was angry and bitter at everybody around me, who hates my spouse, hates my children, and hates my life. That's a life I want to have. Nobody thinks that. He hasn't watched it. Just, I know, yeah. I haven't watched oh, it. No, no, no. <laughs> but my point is to say, like, you see enough commercials for all these people just basically crying and yelling at each other, and it's like, who wants to why live that way? Not just why we watch it, but why would anyone want, would I, uh, actually oh, live that life? That's so, That's so sad. Yeah. But what is that? It's bitterness. It's anger. It's selfishness. It's all these things that are in this week's parasha. What does Yeshua? Yeah. What does the What does the Torah this week say? It's the talks of things like don't hold a grudge against your people, because guess what? That's poisonous. It will literally destroy you. True, but it, then you could follow that that kind of show would appeal to someone who was angry, bitter, sure, spent a lot of time absolutely, and yeah. yelling, and you would think, oh, good, they're just like me. Right, but see, and I think that's what goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's like was rubber to say that, like, on the highway. Well, well, I'm glad they didn't happen to me. Right, but see, again, that's that. Whose standard are we following? I think that's what we're talking about at the beginning. What that allows us to do is to create our own standard to say, well, not that bad. Yeah. So my life must be great compared yeah. to those people. And then what that allows is for us to be happy where we're at. Right. As far as instead of progressing to where we know we should be, right. If we if we if we compare ourselves to the world and say, hey, you know what, I'm not so bad after all. Then you just stop. Right. Your momentum, your momentum stop because the expectation is for us to be here. The expectation is not for us to just be a little bit better than the world. Right. The expectation is to live up to what he did. Hashem expects Amen. us right. to be. Not, 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 not on a level, just a level above the world. But the danger is that as humans, we live on a slope. Yeah. And the problem is every time we try to stop, yeah. we're sliding backwards. We start sliding backwards. And if we, if we don't keep pressing forwards... You're going the opposite direction. No one's lives are stagnant. The idea that somehow we can just hit some sort of plateau and be good enough isn't true. It yeah. erodes. And yeah. that's why, to your point, we have to keep pressing forward. So you talked about earlier about how like everyone keeps saying, well, I'm only human. And yeah. it's so funny how like we actually, even in the secular world, we acknowledge it's not good enough. There's a very popular phrase that says, well, how does it go something like to, uh, to, to, to get revenge is human? But forgiveness is divine. Yeah. But we get the idea that we want to be better than human. Yeah. We don't want to be just the average us. We yeah. want to be more than us. In fact, I think I think a lot of the appeal in a lot of the things in the movies today, whether it's magic or fantasy or superheroes or whatever, is this yeah. idea that we want to be more. We can be better. We can be better. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know that my brother-in-law Gregory is a big fan of all of like the the, the self-help promotional type speakers, and their whole thing is you can be better. Yeah. Don't just be who you are today. You can be so much more than who you are today. Yeah. It's achievable, and I think it's. I mean, this portion, to my dad's point, is extremely intimidating, and yet. God's not saying it as a taunting mechanism, contrary yeah. to what some people might tell you. This is actually an, a, an ideal that you can aspire to. That's amazing. God's saying you can be this person. You have to work at it, but it's possible. Yes, Gregory? I, it just reminds me, like, when you go through it, and I was thinking about the, the magic thing, it mentions magic a good bit in here, but then I was, uh, for some reason, I was remembering in the early society of how America got started, I started realizing, you know, a lot of this stuff in this week's portion mirrored the way that they behaved. They didn't tolerate witches and, right. and magic. They didn't tolerate 
illicit relations. They didn't tolerate lying or any injustice in court. Like, they are, we had standards of, in this country that were based a lot around absolutely in this portion, and we see totally. just how unbelievably blessed our country has been. Uh, and so, oh, and then of course, the miracle of the preservation of Israel. We just celebrated Yom Hatzma'ut recently with Israel's Independence Day, and it's like, I mean, because they lived this life, even though there was this period of exile, like that, just having come back to the land and being able to, because they, I mean, you know, it's a society that is similar to what I was just describing, where I mean, even secular people are pretty moral compared to others. Absolutely, and I think if you look at Western society in general, let's look at the United States. I mean, majority thanks to the to the Christian Church, as much fallacies and problems as they may have. One of the things they taught very well was biblical morality. And and that, I believe, was a huge preservation component. I mean, if you talk to historians, they'll talk about the idea that, that like justice systems, governments, economics that are based on like uh, you know, not everyone doing whatever they want, but actually having rules we all follow, is absolutely critical to build societies. And it's not to me, it's not a surprise that the most really the most powerful culture over the last thousand years has been one dominated by biblical morality. I mean, say what you want to about, I'm not saying one culture is necessarily inherently better on their own, but I think it's, I think it's pretty, goes without saying that like the most, the major world economies for the most part, the major uh, world powers that have literally ruled huge chunks of the globe over the last couple hundred years, and the societies that have been um, successful, healthy, advanced, prosperous, technologically advancing, and so forth, have mostly been based on biblical principles. And even the societies that haven't been based on, quote-unquote, the Bible, carry a lot of these principles in them. Yes, I mean, Asian do. culture is, one of their hugest things is Honor honoring your, your parents, yeah. honoring your ancestors, and that's how this portion practically begins. Um, that whole idea of respecting the prior generation is absolutely critical, and they do such a great job of that. And I think that um, it's not a surprise. Although it's funny, I read an interesting article a few years ago, a number of years ago, about how um, there were Asians in like India. They were studying the Talmud because it's like, well, the Jews are always so wealthy and successful. Korea. Oh, Korea. We want to be like them. Yeah. Like, not to say we're religious or anything, but Jews are successful, so they follow this. We should probably try too. Actually, yeah. for outside, outside of Jewish circles, the Koreans are the number one students of the Talmud. Wow. Uh-oh, guys. Hey, hey. <laughs> On well, my because, job, we don't. Cheers for peers. Because it, that's right. Because, because it, because yeah, it, it teaches job, you know. it teaches basic <laughs> ethics of logic. Right. Yeah. But yeah. but but they figured out that yeah. that it's like a it's like the code to how the world works. Um, this passage is really interesting. One of the things that Ishai, uh, Rabbi Mike talked about that I thought was really fascinating. He talks about this idea of the the penalty or the severity, this importance of having just weights and measures. Mm. And what he said was, that this was so fascinating, just weights and measures are not, because he already, guys already said, like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't whatever. It's not about being honest by itself. It's about when the standard is dishonest, the whole system collapses. And why it's so critical. In fact, in this week's portion, one of the things Rashi highlights it's really interesting is he says around that concept it says do not pervert justice and then talks about weights and measures in other words you act like 
part of the justice system when you are doing these types of things in business. And when you pervert the standard in business, you're like an evil, corrupt judge. And the same language and the same applications that apply to an evil, corrupt judge apply to you. It's disgusting. It's abominable. It's destroying society. Welcome to current American politics. Well, what has happened? I mean, when people started to to lie and steal and cheat on a systemic level, um, even when it wasn't necessarily always illegal, but just ethically wrong that we saw some uh, 10 years ago, the whole system almost imploded on itself because it's all based on the idea that we're going to treat each other pretty well, at least systemically. There may be individual bad actors, but the system has to be, has to be true. It has to be good. It has to be just. And when the system collapses, and that's why I think that this, this portion begins, one of the very first things is to honor your father and mother. It's like the system has to be good. If, the, if, if your system is broken, if your authorities are broken, then we've got a problem. One of the things that mentions here is you shall not cause your daughter to be a harlot, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and that's a huge, huge problem. And what does it say? The land will be filled with lewdness. Why is that different from all the other immoralities? I mean, there's a long list of them. All of those are almost like punished individually, but this one will impact everyone. Why? Because the authority is corrupted. When the authority is corrupted, then everything else gets corrupted. And it's exactly what you see time and time again in, in this country. When the leadership is corrupted, when the, when the system is corrupted, that's why God says over and over again in this portion, he's like, do not follow their standard. Well, what Yishai Flesh mentioned, and I think this is correct, according to tradition, the standard, it's not just like don't follow their customs like, well, that's what they like to do. But it's almost it's like it's like their morality. You know? It's like you should be perverse and corrupt and whatever. And we actually get that in today's culture. Today's culture would consider it almost like sad if you weren't immoral before you got married. Oh, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's not even really living. That's, I, I, in fact, I remember reading a book actually in college. There was a comment from one of the characters. It's like, yeah, they died before they got married. I hope that they did something inappropriate beforehand because it's just so sad. Like, what? What? What kind of... But that's what we live in now. We're actually, we're legislating immorality. And, and the system is broken. And when the system is broken, it collapses on itself. And you lose all the foundations. As it says in the Psalms, if foundations are shaken, what can the righteous do? So this portion, a big a part of it, important part of it, is understanding that like the standard has to be good. The judges have to be good. The, the, the parents have to be good. If they're not good, then everything else falls apart. Yes, Gregory. I was just, uh, this week I was thinking about the correct weights and scales and measures, and I was thinking, you know, from a business perspective, that's, it's kind of, it comes back to integrity, because a, a customer may not know that the weight is different. Right. Or the, weight, the measure is different at all, but God knows. And right. so it's, it's really about doing the right thing even when no one's looking. And I, I was thinking about the two men in this room who are involved in IT. Our modern day version of that is security, cybersecurity, making sure even though the customer may not know the difference, that their network has a strong secure security around it, that their website has some security around it, like that, that we are taking care of their things even though they might not know the difference and we're not cutting corners in that regard. Right. Because they're they're entrusting us that they that you know we're we're taking care of them in that regard, similar to how this is describing. Yeah, absolutely. In fact the sages was there's a commentary about the just weights and measures and they say that it had to do exactly what they're talking about, doing things they couldn't see. Um, the idea that like 
I think Ishai Fleischer and Aaron Mike talked about, like, if I cheat you because I gouged the price, you with the pricing, you can go talk to other merchants and find out, well, I paid way too much for this. I'm never shopping with you again. But if I cheat you by actually breaking the system where you have no idea that I've cheated you, why well, I've changed the quality of the item or I've adjusted the weights of how, how much it's worth, how much the value is. The sages say that what they would do is they would, they would like soak the stones or do something with them. They would actually change the weight of the stone or put them in certain types of uh, whatever, chemicals, whatever else. It would change the same way. So it looked like, well, that looks like, that looks like what everybody else is using. But yours is different. And so it would, well, now you're lying and they have no way of knowing. But over and over again throughout the Rashi commentary in this passage, it's, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I see, oh, I know what you did in secret with that other person. I know what you're thinking. I mean, some of these are have to do with thoughts. It's like, I know what your intent was. I know what you were trying to do. So I'm the one who decides what's right and wrong. Not, not your fellow man. And this goes back to my beginning. What's the standard? When the standard is what everybody else is, it's amazing what you can get away with. I mean, that almost becomes a morality in and of itself. How much can I get away with? But if God is the standard, and he sees everything, this is a, one of the Psalms of the day. I think it's Thursday. It talks about, like, the one who created eyes, does he see? The one who created ears, doesn't he hear? The one who knows the thoughts of man that they're futile. It's like, if you think that you can get away with stuff because God's not paying attention, like, have you lost your minds? I mean, he's the one who controls everything. Every atom in your body is, you know, the neutrons and protons are spinning in circles around each other because he makes them do so. He's obviously paying attention to the things you're doing in, in the dark. Oh, I know, right? It's tragic. I, that mercy we were mentioning a couple of minutes ago about your daughters, I, I'm not sure the way it says it, um, have, having having your daughters to be Carlos or putting them into that profession, probably a lot of people would say, for the fame of probably a lot of people would say, oh, we certainly don't do that, but you know, really, we do. I think mm. any parents that are buying a contraception for the oh. That's a great point. That's exactly right. I was wondering about it, and that makes a very good point. And actually, and and to your point, I mean, that's really that is actually so much of what our society has functioned around, right? I mean, like you know, this the big. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing watching ads. I saw an ad recently, and it was for um, a vaccine that counters a form of like it's a disease that kind of they can turn into cancer that you only get if you're active in that way prior to being married (laughs) but it's so important that you all everyone 100% vaccinate their daughters because we don't want to because we can't teach them no we shouldn't do that instead we have to protect them by making it not quite mandatory actually in some states it is mandatory injecting them with something because we would rather them because we can't tell them no a big fuss in Texas. Mm. Wow, that's so sad. Mm. And and then, um, but then I think about what we were talking about earlier about the standard, right? And God seeing everything. Um, this passage actually includes like the ultimate example of this: don't curse a deaf man, mm-hmm. right? Don't put a stumbling block before the blind. 
They will never know. Never know. They cannot know that you did that. And yet, God says, don't do it. Why? I am the Lord your God. I see. I know. And, uh, and actually, it's really kind of cool because this <coughs> principle, I think, gets carried on, expanded upon in the apostolic writings. Uh, we see this idea of, um, it's like, don't, don't, don't go about as a gossip, right? Yeah. Well, what, what do we talk about today? Talking about someone behind their back, right? In other words, they don't hear it. It's not like you're talking about them negatively in front of them. You're talking to them behind their back. When they can't hear a deaf person or cursing deaf people. Or don't put a stumbling block for the blind. What does Paul talk about? Paul talks about, hey, if, if your brother is going to stumble over your, a good thing, not a bad thing, you're doing something within the freedom that God's given you, but it's going to make him sin, don't do that. You know, I think about that, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, like a stumbling block before the blind. In other words, if that person really feels like this is wrong, and you're going to corrupt their conscience by doing it in front of them and making them feel like they can do it too, but not because they believe it's right, but simply because, well, he does it, so I guess it's okay. But I don't really think it is. That's a problem. And that's, that fits within this context. They're a blind person. That's kind of how Paul describes this, this concept. It's like, they, they're lacking somewhat in faith. But, if, but that doesn't give you a right do whatever you want and lead them on their own. You have a responsibility to them too. I think it's you that time. So um, I think about you think about that. It's like it really kind of takes it in a different direction when we realize that God is not only the standard but also the judge. And it doesn't matter if people around us see it or recognize it or not. I mean, in um, it's amazing how. Gregory just recently was reading a book about marriage and talking to my father-in-law about it, and he was talking about how cool it was that several of the things they mentioned in the book, he's already doing. It's like, right, could we be doing this? And it is amazing sometimes when you, like you see, like you know, working in a, in a big corporation, there's all this ethic type stuff. You know, it's a huge deal. All the ethics trainings, other types of stuff, and it's like, and it's like, right, but I do that anyway. Like, of course I would do that. Like, why wouldn't I do that? But how many people in the room are thinking the same thing? Well, it's amazing because, like, they have the trainings, right? And the trainings are like, this scenario, what's the right thing to do? And sometimes I kind of wonder, like, is this supposed to be? Are they trying to trap me? Right. This is really easy. Is it supposed to be? Like, maybe maybe we're telling or asking this question because, like, it's a softball. Right. It's like to make you feel good about yourself. Like, oh, yeah, I did know what to do. Phew. Okay, good. But sometimes, like you're, you're like, well, there's only one answer to this question. Yeah. Anyway, but, but, but that's only because, like, you're studying the scriptures of God, you're following the pattern of God, and He has set that standard. If you didn't have a standard, yeah, it'd be really hard. Well, do I lie to this customer or not? I mean, it could cost us money. It could cost the company. It could hurt my job. Like, those are a lot of important things. So maybe lying is okay. But only if you have a standard that's higher than your circumstances are those questions kind of made easy. Yes, sir. Well, it's interesting because you bring up corporate American hilarious because they're constantly trying to put band-aids on without actually using the very principles that Scripture gives us. An example is sexual harassment or whatever else. You know, right. Anybody that's in Fortune 500, you're constantly getting bombarded with instruction and how you should behave is like, the Bible tells me how I should be, and in fact, it's way better than what y'all are telling me, and it really does work, and 
You don't have to go through all these different, well, you know, I treat people normally. I don't matter, you know, it doesn't matter to me if they're sinners or not. I'm going to treat them like a person should be treated as made in the image of God. And yet we have to go through all these various different paths and, you know, it's not just sexual harassment. It's all these multiple paths of how you can treat people, how you should treat people. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because it's very simple. It's right there. And if you follow God's word, then you're going to treat people correctly every single time. Right. Right. Absolutely. And even the world will see that you're treating them correctly. Well, and it's amazing what it protects you against, right? So for 10 years ago, we had the, uh, you know, the movies movie star style morality of how men and women should interact. And it was fun, it was playful, it was James Bond, and there's, you know, 95 different girlfriends over the course of your lifetime, and whatever else. And, um, and then the Me Too movement happened. And all of a sudden, an entire generation of men who've been told by society, this oh is yeah, do whatever you want, it doesn't really matter. Now it's like, no, 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 that happened 20 years ago, I'm suing you, you're gonna lose your career, it's over. Now, if you'd grown up instead following this book, you would have known that woman's not my wife. Therefore, I can't do that with her. I shouldn't talk to her that way. I shouldn't touch her in any way that'd be inappropriate. I shouldn't be alone with her for an extended period of time when no one else is around behind a locked door or whatever it might be. You know, maybe we should study together late at night. <laughs> it becomes a lot harder for someone <laughs> to take you to court or to ruin your career or your life. If you're not there. If you're not there. If you haven't done any of these things. People, the same right. mistakes. And the Amazing. society forgave him. I mean, that's the really shocking thing. Yeah. And that's what's... And that's, part, of, part of society. Well, yes, but I mean... <laughs> no, but my point is to say... You're not counting. No, 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 waiting no, no, no. to talk to him. But the, but, but the, but the, but the, 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 the force of society, the, the authorities of society decided yeah. that was okay. And the sad part is, is that, I mean, I do, I, I almost feel badly, actually, for men today. Because the rules have changed on them so fast. And it's almost not fair. It's like they didn't even know. But they should have known. Because it was there from the beginning. My rules haven't changed. The real rules never changed. It's just society's rules changed. And of course, society is not perfect. And, and I'm not saying that just because you follow God's rules that you'll fit in society. Because actually, this, this entire portion talks about the idea that don't do what they do. There's a very good chance that in the coming years, if you live, follow God's rules, you will be an outcast rather than the ideal. But the point is that at least today in a relatively morally constrained society to some degree, um, what you find is that you save yourself from an enormous amount of risk and grief if you simply did what God's at the beginning. Um, and I mean, like I said, how many self-help books basically boil down to keeping the Torah? Like, if you really think about it, you know, it's like, well, your life be so much happier if you're not bitter, if you're content with life, if you're not looking at things from the negative side of, of, of the world, if you treat your neighbor with respect, if you're friendly to people, if you're a nice person, you know, it's like, if wow. You're integrity. Right. Like, it really it fits. It's already there. Yes, sir. So, uh, we just recently got a new client, and I was visiting, and uh, they were mentioning that they were just about to go into their annual training on this topic. So they said, uh, do you do that with your employees? Do you have an annual training? I said, <laughs> I said, my, all my uh, engineers are men. All the people that visit clients are men. And 
and all the men are told on the day they're hired, if you are ever alone with a woman, you'll be fired. <laughs> it's a terminating offense. You may not be alone with a woman anywhere at any time. And they change the subject right away. <laughs> it was the end of the conversation. <laughs> well, look at the time. You know, it's a, what, what's for lunch today? Your standards way too high. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the interesting thing is, men like Mike Pence get ridiculed yeah, right? for that standard Lambasted. in the very in the very environment that people are being destroyed That's because right. of not having that standard. Yes, it's because amazing. they're lax. The utter the utter hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, it's, I was gonna say it's, that it's, 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 it's the right and wrong. It's disgusting. disgusting. I mean, like you, most company, at least most people that I feel like I interact with, are pretty liberal. And so, yeah, everybody's making fun of Mike Pence, but at the same time, it's it's all about like the the sexual harassment clauses right. and all the numbers are posted everywhere to call HR the minute that you see something out of place or you know, it's, it's like that. Yeah, it is. It's so so hypocritical to put down a man who. You that would never you would never have to worry about a thing if you're working with. Thankfully, men like Mike Pence understand that and don't take it personally and probably smile at the fact here, here. that yeah. people make fun and of and actually him. choose to uh, serve the people of the United States spite in of spite of that. Yeah. You should start a new Me Too. Be like, I do that too. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Pence. I'm with Mike. <laughs> I do that too. Me too, Mike. Me too, Mike. Me too, Mike. Me too, Mike. You're going to have to speak up, and none of us can hear you. No, 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 no. I'm going to speak up. I, I just, I, you know, just listening um, to, it sounds almost like an oversimplification to look, say, you know, well, if you were following the Torah, you would never have that problem anyway. And you're gonna, because it almost sounds like, you know, um, get saved and your life will be amazing. Um, that's not true. Not, not all the time. Uh, I mean, I, I believe, and I know that, we probably will never know the truth, but I believe we recently had a case where a man was accused of doing something truth. that he did not do. Truth. He seems to have had a life that was very close to these standards. He did not seem like that kind of man at all. But one woman said, yes, he did, and his career and his life were almost truth. completely abolished, even though it looks like he had some pretty good standards. Right. Um, so I would say keeping these standards, that doesn't always mean you're going to be above reproach. In fact, it might end up putting you a target on your back. That's right. Hang on a second. I want to just let's. It doesn't. You just said it doesn't mean that he will always be above reproach. I disagree. He will be above reproach. Yes. But there will always be people. Yes. Accusing. Accusing. Well, and I think it's like Joseph, right? Joseph, for example, perfect example. How can you beat Joseph? But then I think if you think about Joseph's story, how does it end in the end? Probably, well, I wouldn't say we know the end of the story, but not, Supreme Court. Second not that best. differently Second from Supreme best. Court Covenant. Yeah. You know, you could have been better, but it's like it pretty close. even in Egypt, it was it was punishable by death to sleep with a man's wife, and so for Potiphar just to have him put in jail, put prison, right. showed that he, he doubted his wife he he because, because it's, it's probably. Joseph was probably not the first servant she tried to <laughs> right. I'm just saying. That's very I'm just saying. But you're absolutely right. But, but, I think, but I think my point is to say, or like I said earlier, we do not live in a society that's perfect, obviously. It's a lot of problems. And it's getting worse. So there is yeah. a time, potentially, in the future 
where living by God's standards does not we'll earn you, you points enemy. with the society. Make you an enemy. It could make it worse for you yeah. in I, this I, world right now. I would now. be very surprised if there's not men in this room that are already experiencing that fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's where cool. you're just not invited to be in the inner circle because, well, you're a little different. Then, well, you know, I mean, you, I had a situation where I didn't get a sleep with people. I didn't get an opportunity you know, to get a job because I wouldn't work on Shabbat. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that that's out there. Already yeah. But I'm just saying, they're not my current employer. But the point is that uh, <laughs> who knew banks were the perfect opportunity know, really for people keep but, but if you think about it, but the point though that we've been saying is that the standard is not man's. The standard is God's. I mean, probably I can think of one of the guys that didn't didn't do so well with society, and that was Noah. Literally the entire world hated him. Oddly enough, by the time it was all over, the entire world loved him. Because he was the entire world. And so the point is that all seven of them. Point was that like because I love you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are the world. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to get at is he did he did find his reward, and I think that that's what we're looking at. We see God as the rewarder of our good deeds, not as society. And because of that, that means we live a life that when society is at least moderately moral, we'll actually recognize that as a good thing. Now, down the line, they may not, but ultimately, our higher power is God. We just got through Holocaust Memorial Day, but that, and as we, as you, if you got a chance to think about it, those those heroes didn't all make it. That I would say most of them didn't, and yet, I think that that I can only imagine the reward that was waiting for Jews I mean, who ended their lives dancing. For Simcha Torah in the gas chambers. Mm -hmm. So my point is to say that it doesn't always turn out in this life the way that you would want it to. But God has promised that there is an impact in a greater picture here. I love this hilarious little story that Christine, my sister-in-law, told a couple weeks ago at their daughter's uh, Breitbot about pregnancy. And it's such a funny little tale of uh, life after birth. And it was absolutely hilarious. It's from this perspective of two, like, two twins in the, in the womb who don't know what life's going to be like afterwards. And they're like, well, there can't, one of them, one of them is the skeptic. Well, there can't be life after birth. I mean, there's only darkness and it's all over. <laughs> you know, and the other one's like, no, 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 no. I, I think that after, after birth, we're going to breathe air and we're going to eat with our mouths. Ha! The other one says, eat with our mouths. That's ridiculous. Don't you know we've only got umbilical cords? where everything comes from that's how it is and it's like you know the skeptic responds back and being like you know no one's ever come back from there there's no life after birth we're gonna be mom and then the other one says we're gonna be with mother have you ever seen mother so the point is that like it's such a comical story but it's a beautiful picture of i think what really works because this life is really short compared to eternity so if the reward doesn't happen in this life, don't worry, it'll get that form well beyond afterwards. And Nehemiah's been very patient. All right. Uh, now, but um, I just wanted to touch on your point. Um, you were talking about how if the leadership is off, then the people are going to be off, you know? And Hoshea uh, kind of speaks directly to that. As, and and he, he kind of uh, brings in, like, the harlotry point, right? In Hoshea 4... And six, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. So who is you? 
I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the Torah of your Elohim, I also will forget your children. The more they multiply, the more they increase in birth, the more they increase, right? The more they have sinned against me, I will change their glory into shame because they feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity, not towards law, lawfulness, but lawlessness. And it will be like people, like priests, so I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. We skip down to 11, he says, or 10, he says, they will eat but not have enough. They will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to Adonai. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away understanding. My people consult their wooden idol and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They, have offered, they offer sacrifices on tops of mountains and burn incense on hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes so the people without understanding are ruined. And that reminded me of a podcast by you guys before I ever came to Bellator about how if we're looking at our own marriage and we're seeing it decay or falling apart, the only person we can blame is us. <laughs> he says, I will not punish your daughters right. when they play the harlot or your wives when they commit adultery because of you. And what Paul says, Paul comes back, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6 or 2 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that you're, you are the vessel, you are the temple of the living God? He writes, so you cannot take your body Right? And make it one with a prostitute or with a harlot. Right? So we see this already here. Right? Because the men have lain with harlots, because the men have played with prostitutes, and we know spiritually that also means paganism. It's not just it's not just in the physical world, meaning like literal harlots and prostitutes, but also spiritually, you're going astray from me. Right? Because what I have chosen to be, the headship and the leadership, has gone astray. Right, This is why the daughters have gone astray. This is why the wives have gone astray. Because what I have set in authority has gone astray. And so it, that just, that to me, you know, makes it even more important for us as men to understand what our place is, um, what true authority is. Um, and where that comes from. You know, I had a conversation, and I don't know how far it went with one of the shift coordinators and one of the process tests. I, you know, I don't know how popular I am right now before I went to, you know, my granddad's funeral. Well, I know when I get back, but I said our goal is the kingdom. You know, I know we, we, we pull, we, we get a lot of inspiration from these motivational speakers, Eric Thomas and Tony Robbins and all these business guys, right? But our goal is the kingdom. It's not to be the best of where we are and where we're at in our business. Our goal is the kingdom of Elohim. Amen. And if as believers we want to get there, then we have to set our standards on what, what is the Messiah doing? You know, what was Moses doing? You know, what were these leaders doing? Not only to pull, you know, principles and examples 
from leaders in the business world, but also to, to find our leaders and what were they doing in the spiritual realm? What were, what were these guys doing when they had to meet? You know, but yeah. that, what you were saying earlier, that is, that is, that is right on point, man. If the, if the, if the leadership and the, and the, and the authority figures are, are sick and immoral, right, then that's going to filter down to the people. And I think it's exactly what James says in chapter, is it two? Yeah. It says. Teachers. Yeah, teachers. Don't, don't be any teachers. Yeah. The standard yeah. is way higher. Yeah. And that's exactly why if you look at Yeshua's uh, really intense commentary for the most part against people when he speaks it's not normally for the normal person mm -hmm. he's taking on the leadership he's saying he's saying you are the one he says he tells he tells the corrupt members of the pharisee group he's mm -hmm. like you're the ones who go make a convert and make him twice the son of hell as yourselves he's not attacking the convert mm -hmm. he's saying it's on you mm -hmm. you made them that way and mm -hmm. i think that that means that for that's your point to those of us who are fathers and husbands and and leaders, teachers, that means that our standard needs to be even higher. Our, our responsibility is significant because if whatever we do, we're setting the minimum of what your family is going to do from a, from a, uh, a good or bad perspective. In other words, it's like you want your children to be, to be right and good. At the minimum, the, the, the best they'll be is probably, well, uh, the maximum, I guess, the best they'll be is what you do. They will always be, they have a tendency to be worse than you, especially when they're growing up. Maybe someday, God willing, they will be better than you. But that takes a lot of maturity and a lot of time. So if you set the standard here, chances are your kids are going to set the standard right below that. So if you, would, if, you, if you feel like you want your children's standard to be higher than your, or higher than that, you have to set yours higher. That's a really fascinating art, uh, comment from uh, in Repeats and Jungress's book. She tells a story about a guy who has his payout, his hair that he's growing up, mm -hmm. as part of this passage, right? Don't shave the sides. So Orthodox Jews interpret that as letting this, these particular let spots go. on the yeah. side really go. I let mine stay the same. But the point, they let them go, like, really go. And uh, some of them grow them, like really, really long. And so his point, he said this one guy, he had like, I mean, we're talking like almost like waist length. I mean, just like crazy long payout. And they asked him like, why are your payouts so long? I mean, there's like You're talking to a man who has pale, by the way. Just yeah, so you know. yeah it's Orthodox Jews, and then there's like there's this guy. This guy's setting a whole new standard, and he said, if I wear my payout like 18 inches, my children will wear them 12, and my grandchildren will wear them six, but they'll still have them. Mm. And it's like, in other words, he was so determined to set the standard so high for himself, so that even if his children came up underneath that standard they would still be on the right side of morality. Like, that's a cool idea of, like, of, having, of, of caring about your own integrity so much that you were actually willing to, to sometimes even deprive yourself to some degree of your freedom in an effort to try to set a higher standard so that your, the people around you can follow, can follow that. But my point is to say that like, when we let ourselves, but maybe that's not necessarily always good or not, but the point is if we let ourselves do things that are wrong, you can guarantee it that your family or those who follow your leadership will at least do that bad, if not worse. Mm. I've got a lot of comments. Here we go, and we'll move around. Um, so the, who are the priests? Physically, who are they? Levites. Sons of Aaron. Sons of Aaron, yeah. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. And that third temple, temple's built? 
sons of Aaron. They got to be the sons of Zadok, because the sons of Aaron didn't cut it. They didn't teach the people. They didn't do. They didn't follow God, and so the the leadership will get replaced. It will get restricted to those within the leadership that did right. Number one. Number two. Um, you said that uh, God will reward us, and surely the sinners, the wicked, are rewarded in this life. And you pointed out that the righteous are probably going to get our reward in the next life. Um, it's interesting, that's not what God said to Abraham. God didn't say he would reward him. He said that he would be the reward. Mm, true. And as believers, I think that's important that we should remember yeah. that we don't need to look for a reward. We know the reward. Right. And that relationship is what right. it's all about. Mm. You know, we're reading through the six constants of um, you know, through the accounting of Yomer, and you know, we're up to Adonaiah Chad, uh, the Lord is one, and, and what that means, and, and so forth. And the bottom line is that we recognize that He's it, and, and our our hope, our desire, and our purpose in life is to become more and more like Him, because He is that reward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, wow, I've got a bunch of comments. Gregory, do you have a comment? Uh, it was just before, because I was agreeing with uh, Nehemiah about like people like Tony Robbins, like motivational people, because there's there's like what I think is missing in our walk outside of this room is sort of that same intensity and mm -hmm. sense of urgency for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the one thing I've always really liked about listening to some of the guys like Tony Robbins is like it's very motivational mm -hmm. but I usually translate it into motivation towards the kingdom like yeah. motivation towards studying exactly. better or not so not like you basically take what he's saying and just not like, ignore monetary success mm -hmm. and replace it with being more holy right yeah, but like but the idea is that there is a such an intensity that it almost puts kind of like blinders on you where you're just 100% focused on your goal mm -hmm. and so it's just great that we brought that up in this portion because the goal is holiness. So yeah. just using that, those same methods yeah. of motivating ourselves and every day waking up and just being obsessed with one goal, if we're just looking towards Yeshua, we're desiring to be more like Him and being holy, then that's uh, it's, it's a way of maybe translating some of that motivation that stuff, motivation you know, stuff. towards yeah. where it should be pointed. Yeah. It's like the a rabbi and the CEO, great. <laughs> um, Zoe and Sophia, did you guys, do ladies have comments? Yes. Can you speak very loudly? It's okay, because there's certain fabrics that you can't blend, but all, sometimes, sometimes there are some that you can. They can't have wool and linen. And I'm pretty sure, knowing your daddy, that you do not have a garment that has wool and linen in it. But that's a good point. It's so a great question, too. That is. Um, and wow. it's a, and, and uh, that's actually one of the ones that uh, uh, Yishai Fleischer talks about. Like it's one of those like weird ones. It's like you can kind of feel like pretty pretty solidly like right, yeah, yeah. Brothers and sisters probably shouldn't do things. You know that makes sense to me. I can follow that one. But we can't wear wool and linen. Like I'm not so sure I understand that. And he had this really great story. He's like, um, he tell his mother told him this. I thought this is so cool. He's like. She uh, was talking about the founder of the uh, element, elemental table, like all the different uh, chemistry weights yeah. and everything. 
and they said when he developed the periodic table, he would leave blanks in the list of different weights. And the reason they would, I asked him, why are there some that are blank? And he said, well, I, I believe that there is an element that weighs that much. I just haven't found it yet. And they're like, well, how do you know that? Like, there's, there could be, you know, it could be 15, whatever the, I don't know all the measurements right now, 15, 16, and 18, but there's no 17. He's like, no, 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 this system makes too much sense. There's got to be one out there somewhere. I'm going to keep a space for it. And her point, the Ishai's mom point was, you got to keep a space for things. Sometimes things don't make sense to you, but you know, if you know the system is true, you have to know that all the pieces are true. And I think that that's something like with the Torah, sometimes you read it and you go, that doesn't make any sense to me. But I believe the rest of it. So this must also be true. If God, who told me all the other commandments, is true, then even the ones that don't make sense to me, those are true too. And I'm going to just trust him on those. Zoe, did you have a comment? Mm. Right, there's, there are rules about, about how, when you can eat the fruit. That's also a good point. Excellent. What's the question? What was the question? Yeah. I'm still studying that. I, I, I think that I traditionally understood that to be played only through the land, but then I read a comment recently that said something about it being even outside the land. It surprised me, so I have to... starts from when you plant the tree. So if yeah. you happen to own a fig tree, chances are it may take you three to five years to actually get fruit. So by the time you're done... That's why I wanted all the tree oh. So that, is that, exactly that was actually a question, question that I brought up. No, no, no. What I was saying was I thought it was from the first year that you actually get fruit. Because it, the, everything, it says this Rashi, fruit is forbidden for you for three years. Rashi says it's from the plant. Yeah. That's the stuff to clock. Because when you, yeah, because it's one that came in the one. Yeah, Rashi clarifies that point. Yes, sir. I was thinking about, based on what Nehemiah was talking about, by the way, nice clothes, nice talk, man, you got the system here. Um, but oh, man, so. the, uh, the, the, when I was a kid growing up, there were parents who were, my parents called permissive. Uh. And, and their kids were the bad kids. <laughs> they were the bad kids. Well, now and then they just called it hands off parents. Yeah, and then there were the normal kids. And then there were the normal parents, and their kids were just normal. That was, I hate to say, it's kind of like me. We went to public school, you know? I mean, I didn't, but kids that I knew all went to public school or whatever, right? And well, that was I did, it. but my dad was in the military, so. So this is kind of the, so this is kind of the promoting this group. This is a different kind of group because we have parents here that are, they're not satisfied with it's okay. They, they, they don't want to raise Mediocre. good citizens. 
They want to raise servants of the living God. Amen. That's a totally different standard. So, I mean, when you think about the three standards from Kiddoshim, which I think are three standards, you know, this, this idea that, that uh, there's a, there's okay, and this will sustain your society. This is good for people living together. But then there's a much higher standard, and it's Hashem's standard, and it is far different. And so when you talk about raising kids, and he was talking about raising kids, you know, the idea that, and, and you were talking about the payout, you know, it's like when your standard is is much higher, it's, it's not sad. Raising children, we're not satisfied with the status quo. Right. We, I mean, very few godly parents want their children to be like them. They want them to be better than them. Right. And yet, we often don't make the choices that would result in our children being better than us. But that's what we want. Right. No, you're right. God's encouraging us. There's hope. Just do what he says, be holy like me. I remember my, my, my dad used to have this famous saying. I would come home and ask to do something. You know, like, can I ride my bike down to the store or something? No. Well, Johnny can. Johnny's not my son. That's right. <laughs> mm. Well, and God's standard is so high for us, too. I thought there's a really cool uh, commentary on one of these passages that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and then right after that or right around that is... Uh, don't don't take don't hold a grudge and don't take revenge, and Rashi actually explains the two different things. This is really kind of a cool illustration. So revenge, I think of as like the, the basic level of morality. Like so, revenge. The example they give is uh, Shmuel comes to Moshe and says, "Can I borrow your hammer?" And Moshe says, "No." And then Moshe comes to Shmuel the next day and says, "Well, can I borrow your axe?" And Shmuel says, well, you wouldn't let me borrow your hammer, so no, you cannot borrow my axe. That's revenge. Equal. I'm going to do to you what you did to me. That's revenge. And that, I think, for the most part... In Italy, it's a little different. Yeah, that's... Uh, Cutting off in traffic, yeah. it's not revenge if you yeah, cut in, in, Is that right? In Italy, I think we call this vendetta. Um, yeah, vendetta. The, uh, <laughs> the idea, I was trying to take it down. But the idea is, that, I feel like, is almost like... The like, status quo of human society is... I'll hurt you like you hurt me. That's normal. So a little better than that, maybe a little higher than, than the average person, would be not taking revenge. But God takes it a step further. God says don't hold a grudge. So the, so Rashi commentary, I love this, because here's what a grudge looks like. Shmuel comes to Moshe and says, can I borrow your hammer? Moshe says, no, you cannot borrow my hammer. Moshe comes to Shmuel and says, can I borrow your axe? And Shmuel says, yes, you can borrow my axe, because I'm not like you who didn't let me borrow the hammer. That's holding a grudge. In other words... I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that you mistreated me. I'm gonna make a, maybe I'll make a point of that. Maybe I won't make a point of it, but it's gonna be in my heart. And I think that like in a society that I think sometimes I know for myself, I struggle somewhat with this. We can excuse passive aggressive behavior because it's not so bad. You know, you didn't actually cut the person off in traffic. You just, you know, you made it clear to them that you could have. You know, and that but that's not okay with God. God's got an even higher standard than the normal. And so if we if we float here, or we're just above everybody else, we can look pretty good compared to everybody else. But God would like to see us all the way up here, where, like, where we're actually able to forgive people, let go of the things that happen, and probably live a lot healthier, happier lives 
And I tell you what, it's amazing to me as I have experienced life, how oftentimes um, things that upset me that someone did, 90% of the time is because I didn't properly put myself in their shoes or I didn't understand where they were coming from or I didn't realize something important about their personality or whatever it may be. And instead, I judged them based on myself and said, well, that must have been you know, cruel and heartless on their part. And only later, because I, I hopefully at least forgave them enough to get to know them, that I come to realize, oh, well, that's not, they didn't mean it that way. Like, that wasn't their intent. I actually thought it was a joke, you know, or whatever it might be. It's like, and eventually you almost kind of, sometimes you can come to a place where you're kind of like, I can appreciate that about that person. You know, that's fine. And it's like, how often or how, how many relationships would I have missed out on if I just drew that line in the sand and said, well, no, you did something and it bothered me. And that kind of hurt me. And I'm never going to forget that. And instead, it's like, maybe, maybe I didn't understand that very well. Let's give them a second chance. And that's even on the things that are unintentional. How much, how much greater would it be if we could treat people who treat us, mistreat us intentionally, even like that? That's Yeshua's standard, right? He's talking about yeah, man. Uh, love your love your enemy, right? Yeah. And that's also in the Torah. Yes, sir. But We're actually I'm going past time. I'm sorry, but I'll go fast. But like what Take you said, your time. Right? I gotta go like what, what Yeshua said, right? Like as far as like with adultery, right? He's like, don't even think, right? Don't even right. think about that woman being married. If you think about doing that with a married woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, in your mind, in your inner being, you've committed adultery already. Because that right there is gonna lead you to it. Right. You know, don't so don't even have the thought. Right. 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 And then uh, also in another place. Where, where he just he just speaks to that you know like it's like lifting us above just where the word says you know the word says don't commit adultery Yeshua said that you've seen it written do not commit adultery but I'm telling you right now if you even look at a married woman and think about this you've already committed adultery right yeah in your heart and that is just another just a higher standard you know, and I used to have that question, you know, what is Paul talking about? The spirit of the law versus the written law. What is Paul talking about? The written law is a ministry of death. What is he talking about? Well, it's a ministry of death when you disobey it. Right. You're disobedient to it, right? It's a ministry of death because all these sacrifices come along with your disobedience. Right. All this death comes along with your disobedience. Punishment. Right? Yeah. But if we're living at that higher standard, if we're... If, if, if mankind, if um, it just goes to the point of in a, in a world like this, um, and I was talking to Joseph about this at the break, um, that's the importance of community right. in a world like this. Yes. Because if you're the only one on an island, right? It becomes not just easier, maybe easier for you not to go straight. But if you're on an island, then what's going to, what are your children going to see? If they're not in a community and they don't see other children practicing righteousness, right, right. Saying, dad is a nut. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Your dad's crazy. He won't want to do that to us. Well, yeah. And think about think about the um, your comment earlier. I think you know all this stuff is in the Torah, like Yeshua's standard. Yeah. It's just that he's drawing from the different pieces. He's getting the whole yeah, picture. Yeah, the whole picture. So it says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." Well, three or four commandments later, it says, "Thou shalt covet." Yeah. Now, if you attach that appropriately, you would yeah. realize that thinking about it was wrong, too. Yeah. And Yeshua was just drawing those connections to kind of clarify that. But then to also your point about community, this passage, it's amazing how many times God talks about this in a communal context. 
Rashi talks about that. Rabbi Mike and Yishai Fleischer talked about that. It's like there are consequences to the whole community when you're not living right. There are consequences to people around you when you're not living right. And it's how many times does God say the community is responsible for judging those who don't live right? And rebuking you. Or, or yeah, yeah, don't 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 allow your neighbor to sin. Right? You can't love your neighbor as yourself, but it isn't a neighbor. So it's like this whole idea is this is meant to be lived out in a communal setting and hopefully to hold each other to a higher standard and certainly to live that higher standard around each other. I mean, I, I, it's amazing how when you're with people, I hate exercising. I could be out there. But recently I started, I started exercising with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law um, several times a week. And first off, I started to like it a lot more. But secondly, it's amazing how much I push myself because they're there. Like, if I'm by myself, oh man, I'm comfortable. That was, that was, that was tough. I'm a little gym. sore. It's time to go. Yeah, I'm a little sore. I wore myself out a little bit. I'm good. But I am doing things I've never imagined myself being able to do simply because this guy is over there going, no, don't take that weight off. I did it. You can do it too. And I'm like, I don't think I can. No, I'll just try it. See what happens. You know? And Notice he's not working out with his brother. Well, yeah. Actually, I did though. And it was inspiring. And that's my point. It was, it was inspiring. He, uh, he, he that's to too much. He's, no, he's at a different gym, so it's okay. And plus, he works twice as long as I do. So I don't, I, when he gets a full-time job, we can start working out together. Um, but the point is to say that, they, but no, but these guys, these men are inspiring. And I, and I think, and, I, and that's, that's one of the things I think you get it from community. You know, when I come to Zadi class, it's so great to be around other men who are studying the Word of God. And it's like, yeah, it does hold you to a higher standard. You know, I have to, I have to read the Torah portion before I come here on a Saturday. Yeah. Then we're going to talk about it with all these guys. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you, you, uh, if you take that out, it's amazing how fast that decays. Yeah. So. Left to our own devices. We will take the lowest common standard. Given that one man sharpens another, and we are we spiral up instead of spiraling down. Right, and then hopefully, if we're all really seeking after God, we'll, we'll be holy like He's holy, right? I mean, that's the idea. Aerodynamics. Drag is speed squared. Fast you go, the worse it gets. <laughs> ah. So the harder you try, when you talk about community, the harder you try. The worse it's going to be if it's if you don't have the support. Yeah, you need that support. You need or that, right? be the second man in the race. Well, it's kind of like, you know, like draft. Yeah, draft. <laughs> Drafting is good. Drafting is good. Um, all right. Um, any final comments? Wow, this was really good. It's one of the short Torah portions, and we like went way over. So that was fantastic. <laughs> nice job. Um, Mr. Martin, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we're grateful that you have given us standards that you are. You set forth in your Torah for us to aspire to, and that standard is you. And you've given us an example in your son Yeshua. We pray, Father, that we would not only hold ourselves to those standards, but hold each other accountable so that we can be holy, set apart, people that are called out for you, differentiated from the world, not for ourselves, but for your sake. Pray these things in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.